Wow. That was really nice to like share that with the world. I'm glad you could. Yeah, it was great. Um, I'm not going to lie. I do think you had decided to do this podcast with me so that you could do that. But <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I absolutely did not. No, I decided to do this podcast with you so that we could talk about true crime and conspiracy theories under a guise. <laughs> we haven't talked about true crime too much. We've done a lot of conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm waiting for you to ask me more about true crime because you know it's my favorite. Welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. I feel like it's been a really long time since we recorded, but I think it's just because a lot has happened since we last recorded. So it's just all, it feels so long, like so long when really it was like eight days ago. It was. When I went to message you, I was like, last time I, I, last time I Skyped her was on August 12th. That seems so long ago, but I I guess that's a week and a day. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, Jane and I are recording today's episode the day before so it's tuesday and this comes out tomorrow so we're gonna be we're gonna be speedy and if this episode is not the best edited thing you've ever heard then i'm sorry but no one would have noticed i'm sick and i'm in a rush (laughs) no i'll be fine i'll cut out all the there's gonna be i'm gonna cut out less of your ums jane so (laughs) i will do my best to say um less (laughs) great so just be on your best um behavior um How are you, Jane? I'm good. How are you? Um, I'm sick, which is super lame, but Mm. it's better that I get sick now, right before I go on vacation, than start feeling this way as soon as I start vacation. So Yeah, I feel you. At least there's that. But it like it came on super fast. I thought it was just allergies because it was like I had a dry, sore throat. But I was up literally all night Sunday night. I could not sleep because every time I went to lay down, my whole throat and nose would dry out and I could just feel it getting drier and drier. The only way I could fall asleep was I soaked a towel and I laid it on top of my face and I managed to fall asleep because I was finally (laughs) getting some moisture. That was at like 3 (laughs) a.m. I feel like that would look really scary if I like walked in to find like you. Yeah, you would have found my room. You would have found my room horrifying. I kept getting up. I'm shocked my mom and Michael didn't notice. I kept getting up and going to a new location where I thought there might be cough drops. Like I would lay down for 15 minutes and I'd be like, oh, you haven't checked this room yet. And I'd go and I'd look for them. I went into my mom's car. I went into my car. I thought about Wawa's are 24 hours here. I thought about getting in a car and driving to a Wawa to get some cough drops because I was like, so miserable i ate a lollipop hoping that like sucking on that would create some moisture in my throat it didn't it was it was a it was a nightmare of a night today i feel better i'm just a little a little sniffly oh well i'm sorry you're under the weather it's all right i hope it goes away the last i I just hope i don't feel this way on thursday because nothing sucks more than being sick and being on a plane all that all that pressure and all those bodies Uh. Yeah. They're like, no, 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 no. So hopefully, hopefully it'll go away in time for my birthday and my vacation. So that's been good. How did your show go? It went really well. I'm kind of sad it's over. That's nice. Uh, so but closing, night, you. closing night, like I think was our best show. So it was like we went out on such a high note that it was kind of like, oh, now that's over. <laughs> that's sweet. That's really good. That was on Sunday, right? 
No, Saturday. We oh, a Saturday. Shows. Oh, a Saturday closing. <laughs> yes. That's hot. <laughs> oh, and you would love this. We went to this pub after for like a cast party. Mm-hmm. And we everybody got like a drink on the theater. Yeah. Um, and I ordered a I asked for like I was like whatever cider you have and they were like oh we have one on draft and then I looked at what the sign was and it was called brose and it was <laughs> it was a sparkling rosé but like oh in God. a cider That's and amazing. the cider part of it like made it brose and I was like gosh I hate gender roles why I can't men gender. just drink rosé like what Oh my gosh. That's like, I told you how for my camp this summer, I read them this book called The Bad Seed and we would do like drama around it where I would be the bad seed. Sometimes they would be the bad seed. It was this whole thing. And, but they would get in fights because they would say, um, I would say like, what's something bad that the bad seed does? And one of them would say, he skips in lard. And the other person would go, (laughs) it's a she. Like they would get in fights over... And I literally constantly, I was like, it's a seed. <laughs> like, <laughs> we don't need to give it a gender. The counselors thought it was so funny because my consistent answer with them when they'd be like, is the bad seed a boy or a girl? I'd be like, it's a seed. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't to matter. I to campers today that jazz shoes weren't girl shoes. Oh, they're not. Like- jazz shoes, though, super comfortable. Those should go into fashion. Mm-hmm. But they need more supportive bottoms. That's true. You couldn't really walk around in them. But they are. I remember jazz shoes being very comfortable. They're just like, they're super supportive. They are. They're super supportive. This entire time we've been recording, Kramer has been lying on the carpet in the sunroom, just like staring at me like. (laughs) We can't see the face you're making, but it's a meme face. Like directly eye contact. Oh, no, it's a big yawn. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> Sorry. I love his I, big yawn. He looks like a lion. He really does. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. For my birthday, Kelsey is going to try to get me in to meet the cheetah at the Central Park Zoo. What? <laughs> I think it's the Central Park Zoo. It's one of the it's one of the New York City zoos. Um apparently you can do that. You can pay to like meet the cheetah. And I am so excited because I love big cats so much. My Aww. favorite animals. And I'm going to freak out because oh my god, those big monster boys. I love them. I love them so much. I'm sending you a Snapchat of what I'm currently looking at. It's hilarious. <laughs> I love the process of you like snapping your fingers at Kermit. He, <laughs> like he's a He, he looks like Kermit. Kermit. I just watched like 6 hours of Jenna Marbles videos. <laughs> Kramer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like he was a waiter at a restaurant ignoring you. <laughs> <clears throat> Iconic. I love that. Oh, I don't know where my phone is. It's somewhere on this bed with me. I've been sitting in this bed for like three days straight. So everything's in here. But where is the question? Um, Jane, it's our 25th episode. Happy 25th golden birthday uh i thought that was 50 oh well what's 25 doesn't it have like a name it's not golden you're not old enough to be golden at 25 (laughs) quarter life crisis (laughs) i heard my phone buzz i'm gonna look for that later that'll be a nice surprise for me that little snapchat he's just staring at me of course the minute i went to snapchat him he looked away but now he's doing it again just like resting his chin in like his tufts of fur and just staring (laughs) 
He wants to know what your problem is. Yeah, who are you talking to? <laughs> Why am I not a part of it? We tried to make him a part of it. He didn't want to meow into the microphone. No, he didn't. Even though he was meowing like crazy when I, like when he was running. Because it's, it's like evening time. So he just got fed. Mm-hmm. But whenever like some, but my mom fed him when she was home. And whenever someone new comes home, he always tries to trick them into thinking he hasn't been fed. So he'll do like, <laughs> meow, I'm so hungry, meow. And he'll like wander around rubbing against your leg and like pretend he's starving. And you're like, I know your game. He's looking at me right now like, how'd you know? <laughs> like his eyes got really wide. When Kramer, I, I super relate. Kramer, I super relate. That's so funny. Um, so so funny because we give them we have a bowl of dry food that we keep out all the time but he never eats from it only blue and cricket eat from it and then we feed him wet food because he won't eat the dry food we've started giving wet food to the other two cats too because like they they're always like well why is he getting fed so (laughs) but today we ran out of dry food and he was standing by the bowl crying and looking at us like we're out i'm so hungry and my parents and i were like i've never seen you eat that i don't think you even know what it tastes like (laughs) don't pretend like it's the worst thing in the world that it's got like we're such a player i love him (laughs) what a thug (laughs) he's been catching so many mice the past couple days what? Three mice in three days. Oh my gosh! A streak. A predator. A Snapchat streak. A, yeah, I sound a, like a, an insane cat lady. Let's change the subject. A snap mouse. <laughs> okay. That was a dumb joke. Um. Okay. So here we are, episode twenty-five. Let's just move on. Let's just move on. And for episode twenty-five, we decided we would just like a little special, and that's that Jane and I picked our own topic. So I think Jane knows what I'm doing, but I have absolutely no idea what jane is doing i have no idea what you're doing oh you don't know what i'm doing no was it what aaron requested no then i don't know (gasps) i really thought i really thought you knew okay no i'm i'm not doing what aaron requested aaron will get to your request soon if you're listening (laughs) um okay so are you ready to get started i think so i'm pumped jane what have you been wondering She's doing jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> Come see Singing in the Rain tomorrow at noon and four at the Lincoln Theater. Um, oh my God. Snapchat me the whole thing. It'll be the longest Snapchat ever. <laughs> I'll be backstage <laughs> running around. I have so many like props to hand off and like children to clean off after they get pies in the face and yada yada. <laughs> my favorite theater job. <laughs> pie off children's faces. I want to talk about <laughs> Amelia Earhart. Yes! I love her! I do, too. This, like, hit me a couple of days ago. I was like, why are we not talking about this? Why are we sleeping on Amelia Earhart? <laughs> Who was it? I think it might have been Jenna. There was, like, one day we were sitting in our dorm room in college, and I just was like, why have we not found Amelia Earhart's plane? Like, why? Like, I got so upset. And it, it was not prompted at all. And she was like, wow, have you been worried about this? I was like, I have been. This is a legitimate worry. Anyway. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about it. That's, that sounds great to me, Jane. I also, I read kind of recently that, like, they thought they solved it. And yeah. I'm pretty sure they, they did. So... I was like, what? what's that about? So, 
sorry, I just burped. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) Amelia Earhart, born July 24th, 1897, in Atchison, Kansas. Um, I didn't realize that she was that old. Like, Wait, what? Say that year again? 1897. Oh, wow. Like, to this year, 2019, is like the 80 year anniversary of her flight or something oh, like that. Wow. No, no, no. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Hang on. I was like, wait. <laughs> I don't think that checks out. No, it's more than that. Oh. Yeah. So, that what year was it? Oh, wait. Hang on. It was. If it was 80 years ago, it would have been 1939. Not unheard of it was it was 1937 so two years oh. ago it was 80 years oh so it's been it's Which been I 82 also- years <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm sorry <laughs> i'm being a jerk <laughs> anyway uh all right sorry for my long pauses i need to focus so I learned a little bit about her life before the whole incident because there was a couple of details about her life that I feel like are kind of cool and no one really talks about. So her father was an alcoholic. So her parents' marriage was kind of off and on because her mother was trying to keep her away from that. Right. So she was sometimes with her father, most of the time not, sometimes with other relatives but because of that she was raised by mostly a single mother and really learned that she didn't want to rely on a man in her life she wanted to be really self-reliant which we stand um forever yeah um and she did a couple cool things in her life besides being a pilot she was a nurse uh she volunteered as a nurse for the red cross to help world war one soldiers um she studied nursing for a little bit but she had to quit um to go live with her parents while they were briefly reunited in California. Um, but in 1920, she took a 10 minute plane ride at a Long Island air show and decided that she had to learn to fly. I but, love Beverly Bass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was an obscure like, musical reference. That was a come from away reference. Yeah. Uh, and also just like a Beverly Bass reference. Cause she's a real life woman. Yeah. Uh, and we stand. We do. Uh, but she didn't really have the money to go into piloting. So she took odd jobs to raise money. And she learned to fly from a fellow female pilot. Uh, <gasps> That's yeah. so cool. Anita Shook, who was one of the few female pilots. <laughs> Her name was Shook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, really I, I don't know why movies. I'm 15 years old, but that's so funny. <laughs> Anita Shook. I've met people with the last name Shook before. I'm Shook. Anita Shook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she totally immersed herself in the study of aviation. She cut her hair short to look like a male pilot, well, like the style of one. And she even slept in her leather flying jacket in order to make it look more worn in so that she could fit in amongst all the pilots that had their like worn out jackets. That's like a hack you would see on one of those like five minute craft things. <laughs> Sleep <laughs> in your leather jacket. Like, Super boring look. <laughs> <laughs> Hot glue the pocket crafts. Oh, so in nineteen twenty one, she bought herself a second hand bright yellow biplane that she called the yes. Canary. Which is such a mood. 
1922, she flew the Canary 14,000 feet, setting a record for female pilots in altitude. Cool. Good for her. I know. She was like, I'm going to buy myself a plane. It's going to be cute. It's going to be yellow. And I'm going to fly higher than any other lady has. And that in on May 15th, 1923, she became the 16th woman in history to be issued a pilot's license by the Federation Aeronautique. Whoa. Good uh, for her. I know. Good for her. I love, I love a queen. But the thing is that, like, up until that point, all of her stuff had been, uh, she was living off of inheritance from her mother's family. Oh. But the inheritance ran out. So she had <gasps> to sell. I know. So she had to sell the plane and she couldn't afford to go back to school, which, you know, times have changed because she was like, I haven't, I don't have a degree. I don't have any money. What should I do? I'll be a teacher and a social worker. Yeah. Those are things that you need many degrees, degrees now for. Do. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> But she did that for a bit to raise money, which, again, you wouldn't make money doing those. I need money. What do I do? I'll teach. Um, yeah, what a joke. <laughs> uh, but she gradually got back into aviation sort of locally uh, in 1927. And she became a member of the American Aeronautical Society's Boston chapter and invested a small amount of money in the Denison airport in Massachusetts and acted as a sales representative for Kinner airplanes. Was that uh, one of the airports she, that the people that the revolutionaries stormed? Did you hear about that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway um, and so she began writing articles promoting flying. And because of that, she kind of developed a local following Ooh. as this lady who knows about, flying a lot and because of that because of her like little bit of celebrity that she accumulated she was chosen by Charles Lindbergh to be a passenger for his transatlantic flight from New York to Paris in April 1928 whoa and that really launched her into like being even more famous Uh, she started to be called Lady Lindy Lucky Lind uh, because she flew with Charles Lindbergh is that any relation to the Lindbergh baby or no no. Although we should talk. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Maybe I'm wrong. Charles no, I don't remember. Lindbergh? Wait, hold on. We should talk about the Lindbergh baby sometime. We should. I'm pretty sure it's on our list. I think it is. I'll look um, it up. You keep going. Yeah. Um, and then she... It, it, it was his son. Oh, my goodness. It was his son. I thought it might have been related. Yeah. The 20-month Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr., 20-month-old son of aviator Charles Lindbergh. He was abducted Uh from Edison, New Jersey. Anyway, Uh, I won't say any more. (laughs) No, you're fine. Um, In June 1928, she flew from Newfoundland to Wales uh, with fellow pilot Wilmer Bill Stoltz and co-pilot E. Slim Gordon, which all of these people she's talking to had, like, fun nicknames. Yeah. And, like, he's Slim, he's Wilmer, but we call yeah, him Yeah, I Bill. feel like that was all the, like, 1920s names. Yeah. That they all had, like, names in quotations. Yeah. Um, but, unfortunately, on that flight, there was uh, poor weather, and they had a backup plan that if there was bad weather, Bill would do all the flying, which is what mm-hmm. happened. And so she felt like, she had something to prove because she didn't do any of the any of the piloting on that trip. Gotcha. And one day I'm going to do this by myself. And she did. On May 20th, 1932, she 
flew the first solo flight across the Atlantic Ocean by a woman. Yay! But she wanted to do more. She wanted to be the first person to circumnavigate the world. Good for her. Dream big. Dream big. So she purchased a lock. <laughs> do you feel like Amelia Earhart is supposed to child for why you shouldn't dream big? Like, I feel like on the oh. one hand, you're like, dream big. But on the other hand, it's like, well, Amelia Earhart, dream big. <laughs> 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 you know, you know what happened to that? <laughs> that was a very negative thought. <laughs> but if you want to be like, wrong. if you want to be a pessimist about it. <laughs> 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 okay, I'm sorry. I have a lot of respect for Amelia Earhart. just a social worker. Yeah. <laughs> If you just try to make money as a teacher, <laughs> that's the dream big part. Make money as a teacher. Oh, my word. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so she purchased a Lockheed Electra L-10E plane and put together a crew of a couple guys, Captain Harry Manning. Lockheed Fred- are the people that made the planes at Area 51. Ooh. They killed Amelia Earhart. I'm kidding. No, no. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> the birds did it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so her crew was Captain Henry Manning, Fred Noonan, and Paul Mance. And the plan was to take off from Oakland, California, and fly west to Hawaii, then to Australia, then to India then Africa, then Florida, then back to California. Well, Africa to Florida, that's quite a jump that you don't really think about. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, wow. Stop. Yeah, it's true. I don't, I don't really think about Africa and Florida being two land masses worth jumping between, but that makes perfect sense. Well, they also are going from Australia to India, which in my mind is, whoa, <laughs> that's far. Yeah, that is far. That is very far. And then India to Africa. Oh, okay. Um. They took off from Oakland on March 17th, 1937. Oh, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, er- earlier when I said is Actually, I'll say it later if I was wrong. And then we'll correct. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, they took off from Oakland on March 17th, 1937. But they had technical difficulties and had to stop and do some repairs in Hawaii. And then something went wrong during takeoff um, and the plane was damaged. And the plane had to be shipped back to California for repairs. So that sort of put the kibosh on the whole thing. They had to stop. Right. Um, Earhart and her then husband Putnam had to secure additional funding for a new flight. Oh no. Um, and Henry Manning and Paul Mance both quit the team for like contractual reasons and scheduling conflicts. It wasn't because she was so, a lady. No. Um, okay. Well, that's nice. I don't know if they would have signed up if it, they had problems with her being a lady that's in the first true. place. But, you know, they could have blamed, like, the weather and the misfortune yeah. on, like, well, it's because you're a woman. Like, people yeah. are crazy and would do that. But the thing is, there are so many things when I was reading this story of, like, that's the universe telling you not to do this. Oh, yeah, the warning signs. Like, they had issues taking off from Oakland, and then they had um, to fix the plane when they got to Hawaii. And then they had issues again taking off from Hawaii, so they had to send the plane back to get repaired. Like, all these things... Like, yeah. maybe. And then your crew quit. Like, uh, it's the universe. The universe telling you to stop. That's um, really funny because my what I'm going to talk about has something really similar to that in it. Oh. It's, the, it's the day of, of bad omens. Okay. So they changed the whole plan. And now it's just Earhart and Noonan on the crew. Okay. And they decided this time to fly east instead. So they left from Oakland and they went to Miami. Okay. 
and the big takeoff that the publicity <laughs> came to and the <laughs> Jane's like wildly waving her arms around. <laughs> the dramatic effect is is the really big, stellar. Like, TV event that everyone She's shimmying. was watching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that the press was event. the takeoff from Miami, but they had technically already started their trip because they came yeah. from Oakland. Yeah, but this was the when they were going to be leaving America. Yes. Okay. And they were going to fly south towards Central and South America and then turn east towards Africa. Okay. Um, That was the plan. Um, Well, they did. They did. They got there. They crossed the Indian Ocean and they landed in Lae, L-A-E, which is in New Guinea. And they landed on June 29th, 1937. And so that whole trip that they had completed 22,000 miles of their journey and they had just 7,000 miles to go over the Pacific. Oh, okay. But here's another thing. That's the universe telling them to stop. Earhart contracted dysentery while she was in (gasps) New Guinea and they had to take a few days for her to recuperate and make adjustments to the plane. Like, I'm like, the wait, what do you mean they'd already completed 22,000? They had just flown from Oakland to Miami. No, oh, then they flew from Miami to New Guinea. To New Guinea? Oh, okay. I forgot where New Guinea was. Okay, I'm understanding. <laughs> I'm understanding. Uh, but then they made a couple, like, bad decisions. Oh, no. Um, don't do it. Maybe they won't make the bad decisions this time. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Um, they wanted to add room for fuel capsules, so they got rid of some parachutes. <gasps> No, don't get rid of the parachutes. Wow, this is starting to sound a lot like what I'm going to Well, the about. assumption was that they were flying over the Pacific the whole rest of the way. Right. So everywhere they were going to fly, there was going to be water beneath them. So right. why do you need a parachute if you're just going to be landing in water? Um, but here's the thing. They wanted to stop on the way at, on this teeny tiny island called... The, called Howland Island, which is between Hawaii and Australia. And it's very small. It's 6,500 feet long and 1,600 feet wide. And okay. it's only 20 feet above sea level. So it's little. Little. It's very little. And oh, I should say they also left behind the backup radios. What? <laughs> this seems like such a bad they idea. Were, they were trying to save space. But also they didn't bring enough fuel they were 50 gallons short of a full tank. Oh, my gosh. This anyway. is poor planning. Who was like, it's fine? I don't know. And so this was the plan to find the Howland Islands. This whole thing gives me so much anxiety. They were just going to use the stars and compasses and the sun's location to get to the latitude line. Oh. And do their best to guesstimate where Howland Island was. Oh, my gosh. And then they were going to have this U.S. Coast Guard vessel, the it's the Itasca. Um, the, it was going to position itself right off the coast of Howland Island and send off smoke signals. So they were just going to get to the latitude line and then fly north and south until they found until they saw the smoke signals. So they what? Go. Oh, my God. I know. I was like. Oh, are you kidding? What <laughs> <laughs> kind of crazy plan? That was their plan to get to Howland Island, which sounds That's awful. That's psychotic. <laughs> That's psychotic. Who thought of that? And Aries uh, wrote that plan. <laughs> but they're like, yeah, no, just like get to the general area and then fly around. And see what happens. Yeah. But Yikes. apparently they had a bunch of contingency plans, but I guess 
none of them worked out. But they had clearly. They had rafts ready just in case they needed to ditch the plane, which ugh, that makes me sad. But, but you didn't bring parachutes, yeah. whatever. Um, <laughs> this next little bullet point list I made is called couple bad decisions. Oh, I already talked about these. To make room for more fuel canisters, they left behind the backup radio equipment and they were 50 gallons short of a full tank of fuel. Oh, my God. So they took off from New Guinea on July 2nd and witnesses saw apparently during the takeoff that a radio antenna was damaged during liftoff and also remember how the plan was to use the stars to find the island yeah it was overcast it was cloudy oh no (laughs) jeez the celestial navigation was compromised and they were already off course And apparently, like, in one of the earlier communications they have, they they made a map of the information that they thought they had. And they were six miles off course, like, starting off. They were already going six miles away from where the island was. Well, yikes. And so they reached the latitude line. Or they might have been off about that, I think. But they thought they reached the latitude line. And they began flying north and south. And radio communication was not doing great. They were having trouble reaching people. And also, they got the time zone wrong. Um, I'm with the people who they were in communication with. Oh, the no. Coast Guard on the Itasca was operating on the naval time zone. But Earhart and Noonan, Noonan was the guy from her crew who went with yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We're operating on Greenwich Civil Time, which is 30 minutes different than uh, the Naval well, Time Well, that's the one that's 30 minutes. I knew there's one that's 30, which is very odd. Yeah. So they there was a misunderstanding about what time they were supposed to meet and communicate. Right, 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 right. Oh, yikes. And the, the check-in time. So... <laughs> Just like the hotels. You can check you, in it, too. You have to check out at 11. <laughs> yeah. So at 7.20 a.m., Earhart reported her position at 20 miles southwest of Nukumanu of the Nukumanu Islands, and then at 7:42 a.m., just 22 minutes later, the Itasca picked up a message from her that said, "We must be on you, but we cannot see you. Fuel is running low. Been unable to reach you by radio. We are flying at a thousand feet." <gasps> and that was the last they heard from her. Uh, the ship tried to reply but there was no indication that she was receiving the messages oh my gosh and after like an hour or so they just stopped trying uh uh, that was like a really big search for her but they like found nothing right because they were looking for her plane right right so originally they had assumed that she that their plane had crashed into the ocean correct I think so. But the thing is, they searched and searched and searched around the area that she claimed to be in and they could not find her plane or like bodies or anything. How recently have they searched for it? Because I I guess I just don't know how fast a plane would sink. But it wasn't until relatively recently that we were able to like search the oceans the way we can now. Um, I don't know too much about that. That's fine. I don't know. Um, I think maybe if they looked again, 
Right. They might have better luck. At the time, though, I think they were incorrect about the area to be searching in. But apparently there was like a piece of metal that was found in like 2001 oh. off, off the coast of an island near there, like one of the Nukumanu Islands. And they, in 2014, like 13 years later, determined that it was probably a piece of metal from her airplane. Oh, but it's just been so long since the plane crash that I wouldn't be shocked if it, like it's deteriorated at least. Right. Some. Right. Yeah. But there are a couple of different theories surrounding what happened to her. You know, yes. there's like age old. She was abducted by aliens. Age uh, old. <laughs> age old. Uh, there are some theories that she was secretly a spy and was captured by the Japanese. I have heard that theory that she was a spy. That she was a spy. Very compelling. Mm-hmm. I forgot what we were doing. I just took a bite of food. <laughs> <laughs> we're just having a fireside chat. Okay. But there was a photo that was surf that a I forget who a detective or was it anyway it was in the National Archive. Oh, yeah. A retired federal agent was, like, looking over old pictures. And he found this picture that was taken by a spy on <laughs> Jalouis This is actually the, uh, an insane phrase. It was taken by a spy. <laughs> Don't exist. Um, and they just, they studied the picture and they found that it's not been altered. And it, it's basically on Jalouis Island, which is in the Pacific, and there's a man and a, and a woman in the background of the picture who facial recognition experts have deemed to be Earhart and Noonan. And in the background of the picture, there's a boat that's dragging an object that could have been her plane. <gasps> so they think the plane crashed and that the Japanese picked them up. Basically. Okay. So they think that I've always, I've wondered this because like if they just landed on an Island you know, they probably would have found some way to eventually contact their family. But people think that they, like, were taken into Japanese custody. Yeah. Yeah, so they were they were held captive by the Japanese. They weren't yeah. just, like, guests. Okay. Uh, they were taken to uh, Saipan, which I'm actually not exactly sure where that was, but I'm pre- it's an island yeah. in the Pacific. Uh, they were taken as prisoners there. And since then, I watched this documentary recently. I couldn't find it. But there were people who were on this island that remembered meeting this woman. And later, I think they said when they got back, they were like, oh, that could have been Amelia Earhart. And people just kind of brushed them off like, oh, yeah, right. Whoa. But that's weird. Yeah. But OK, so. In July 2017, which is part of why. I wanted to talk about this because I remember hearing about this, but it's not been as big a deal as it was. But a team of four forensic bone sniffing dogs, some good boys, they found the spot on the island where they believe she died. Oh, how yeah, do they uh, know that she died there? Well, I mean, not necessarily. Um, I think from looking at the remains, well, they found bones. Oh, OK. Um. They found, yeah, human bones beneath a wren tree, and through studying them, I 
believe the remains appear to like have been shot and then she just like fell right into her grave and was buried there, which is sad. But um, they, how did they identify that they were Amelia Earhart's bones? See, that's the thing is it's not 100 percent proven that they were her bones, but right. they did DNA analysis of them. And it was studied by anthropologist Richard Jantz. And they found that the bones were a short, stocky um, European. Uh, oh, the, the one of them was a short, stocky European male. So they believe that's Noonan. And uh, sorry, I'm reading these paragraphs that I wrote in a very it's long okay. time. Oh, they looked at the bones. And they found that it was extremely close to her clothing size from what she would have been right and so then they found uh that of 20 it was like 2776 other samples they had like yeah um it's more than 99% likely i'm reading the sentence in a weird the analysis reveals that Earhart is more similar to the Nikki Mororo bones than 99% of individuals in a large reference sample. So the bones are more like her than thousands of other remains that they examined. Oh, okay. Or people. So in my head, like that's, they found her. (laughs) Yeah. This is like Atlantis. Like they found Atlantis. (laughs) They found it. All of these mysteries have been solved. That's my thing. And no one's talking about them. And I don't understand why not. Which is why I wanted to bring this up. <laughs> That's why it's a theory. But it's like, not a it's fact. It's not uh, what taken 100% as, oh, yeah, we solved it. But that just seems to me like evidence. I guess it's like you can't ever really prove something until you have the, like, firsthand account. You know, you have the, oh, yeah, I was there. I saw, You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you need the full confession almost to know the story. Mm. It's like O.J. Simpson. We know he probably killed he probably killed those people, but we don't know it for sure. God, I'm gonna have an FBI agent after me for that comment. <laughs> there are also a couple of um, radio messages that just like civilians claimed that they picked up in San Francisco a couple days after. Oh, but those aren't really considered to be believed like it was just like people being like oh i heard this radio signal that said um one of them said i i heard a female voice saying still alive tell husband i'm all right better hurry oh that's and one of them was like oh it said um oh but this is from someone in eastern canada picked up the message can you read me can you read me this is amelia Earhart." but like I, that sounds like I don't that know sounds fake. how you felt about the nasty. Oh, I heard a thing that was like, it's me, Amelia Earhart. I'm alive. I'm a spy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the aliens have me. <laughs> well. But why would the Japanese capture and kill her? We weren't at war with them yet. I mean, they found her in the Pacific. I guess. I guess. I don't know a lot about Japanese culture, but well, I'm not thinking like that that's Japanese culture. Because she was American, but like they found 
a foreigner in the water. I don't I don't know exactly what could have. I just don't know enough about like martial law. Yeah. Is that martial law? I don't know. I don't know enough. That's not martial law. About what? um international law, you know. What was the one on our list that uh, maritime law? Maritime law. I was like, it's not aquatic law. That'd be like mermaid laws. <laughs> <laughs> Mermaids are lawless creatures, and you know it. <laughs> wow, what a story! Is that everything? That's everything. Wow, thank you for talking about that. That was really. But I interesting. totally urge people to look into it. Oh, I keep kicking the microphone. I I just. She's so cool. I was in this play in high school where um, it was called Chamber Music. Um, and it's a really cool play. You should read it. I almost wanted to direct it at Muhlenberg as a red door where it's eight women who are all in like a 1940s insane asylum. And they all believe that they are different famous women from history. Oh, that's so interesting. And one of them believes she's Amelia Earhart, but you kind of see throughout the thing that it actually really could be her. Because the the play takes place in like the 40s. Right. Which would have been right after. And she was saying like, no, like I I crashed and people didn't believe me that I said I was Amelia. So they brought me here. Right. And no one believes me. And by the end, you kind of (laughs) like really believe that she is Amelia Earhart, and then uh, they kill her. But <laughs> yikes! Spoilers. But they kill her. <laughs> it's a really cool play, and <laughs> that does sound really I play, interesting. I played um, Constanza Mozart, and I really, I really loved, loved doing that play. But uh, love the movie Amadeus. Um, <laughs> wow, that's that's wild. <laughs> and then they kill I, didn't, her. I didn't play her. I played a woman who believed she was her. Right. But the time periods don't match up there. Mozart's wife was not alive in the forties. No. She was not. Whoops. Okay, so because it's episode 25 and Jane's was kind of long and mine is really long, we're not going to do Reddit this week because it's our special episode and we can do what we want. And this is about us celebrating 25 episodes. So we're going to just fight us about it. Want to fight us about it? Go listen and wait for the next episode. (laughs) Become patrons and maybe we'll change our mind. (laughs) Yeah, we'll add it in there later. Um, So we're going to skip Reddit and we're just going to go right into my segment which i really can't believe you didn't know i was doing this i'm i'm really i'm I'm, shocked i i really thought a you could have deduced it or b you saw my notes or i mentioned it in front of you i forget um are you but i'm excited uh, uh, all right are you ready Mm -hmm. all right if you've known me for longer than a day which jane has then you probably know that i absolutely fascinated and obsessed with the titanic <laughs> I'm not a birthday present to yourself. It really was. <laughs> I sat in a Barnes and Noble. I brought all my books about the Titanic, and the people there were like, "What is this girl doing?" And I was I'm, into it. I'm so excited. I'm pumped. You're in for a wild ride. Um, so like, I just want to clear the air that like, I'm not obsessed like with the Titanic in a like, wow, a thousand people died type of way. Like that's no. creepy, and I'm not obsessed with the fact that people died. Um, it's more of like a fascination that I would equate with the way people feel fascinated by World War II and the Holocaust. That like, it's something so horrific that you feel like you need to learn more about it. But also like, I really feel the weight of all of those people that died and all of those stories that are just kind of lost. Um, and that there were so many victims 
who all had crazy interesting stories. That's why I have so many books about it because I love learning and hearing about those stories and, you know, what happened as a result of the Titanic sinking. I'll give a little context to my obsession. Um, I became obsessed in the 11th grade because my high school did Titanic the Musical, which is like a true masterpiece of musical theater that nobody talks about. And I love it so much. Um, And I found out while doing that show that unlike the James Cameron movie, every character in the musical was a real person. Um, And yes, some had been combined for dramatic effect. Um, Some their ages had been changed, things like that. But they all were based off of the real roster of the Titanic. And this really got me thinking about, like I said, all those stories of the lives that they were lost. Like, and it really is this crazy story. Like, it's not just that this was a ship that was supposed to be unsinkable that crashed. It was like, it was a maiden voyage for a major cruise liner company. Some of the richest, most important people in the world were aboard that ship. And there was a lot of like drama and stuff going on that had nothing even to do with the sinking. That is fascinating to read about and hear about and something that I love about Titanic, the musical, because it really elevates that like these are real people who are going through real people things and they went through this crazy tragedy. Um, So even though the movie Titanic is an excellent movie, my issue with that movie, because people always ask, is that James Cameron had all of these amazing true stories to choose from. And he chose to tell a fictitious one. And yes, it's a really great and beautiful love story. um, But. I think that there are so many true stories about the people who were on the Titanic and what they went through that day and what their lives were like that is also really worth telling and hearing about. So that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to start with um, introducing a story about about the family and the people in the Titanic that I feel a really big personal attachment to, and that is the Thayer family. Um, When I was in the musical, I played Marion Thayer, who was a first class passenger who was on the ship with her husband, John B. Thayer, who was the vice president of the Pennsylvania Railroad and her son, Jack Thayer, who was 17 at the time of their crossing. Um, I am a person that believes very much in past lives. I think I've had them. I do think they're real. And I have heard before that if you have a fascination with a topic or um, a type of era or period or event, then that probably means that you that happened to you in a past life. And this is beyond something that's like connected to you. Like I feel a fascination towards World War II, but my grandfather fought in World War II and I've looked at a lot of the photos that he took and I don't feel the same way about this as I feel about the Titanic. And when I first started really learning about the Titanic and specifically about the Thayer family, I felt this overwhelming need to like kind of divulge all of the information I could about the sinking and specifically this family. And so because of this, I have this like weird inclination that in my past life, um, I was in the Titanic and I was related to the Thayers in some way. I don't mean specifically familial relation, but I do think that I was someone close to them or around them if past lives are real, because I've just, I have this very weird feeling about this family and I've had a couple of like, eerie experiences in connection to the Thayers. Ooh, um, so, tell me all about it. 
Yeah. So like I said, the Thayers was their wife well, was the wife Marion, the husband John B. Thayer, and their seventeen year old Jack Thayer. Jack Thayer became one of the most famous survivors of the disaster for many reasons that I'll talk about later. Um but in nineteen forty he privately published his account of the sinking and gave copies to his close friends and family. And this is a quote from that private account. It seems to me the disaster about to occur was the event that not only made the world rub its eyes. Oh, what was the last thing you heard? Hello? Hello. Sorry, you froze, but you're back now. I'm back. Okay. Um, So what did you hear me say that this is a quote? Yes. Okay. So it seems to me that the disaster about to occur was the event that not only made the world rub its eyes and awake, but woke it with a start, keeping it moving at a rapidly accelerating pace ever since with less and less peace, satisfaction, and happiness. To my mind, the world of today awoke April 15th, 1912. That's a quote from Jack. Um, mm-hmm. So like I said before, I played Marion Thayer in the musical. So like I have this attachment because if everyone who's ever been in a show, you feel an attachment to a character that you play, that you play. But I've had experiences where I'm like, no, this is, this is more than that. Um, in 2012, I visited the Seaport Museum in Philadelphia because they had a small exhibit honoring the Pennsylvania passengers of the Titanic because 2012 was the 100th anniversary. So I mm-hmm. went to this museum shortly in like, I'd say like May or June of 2012. Um, and they had a small selection of the Thayer's things because the Thayer's were from outside of Philadelphia. And the first strange experience I had revolved around this particular family was that when I saw the program for John B. Thayer's funeral, I started crying immediately. Like, it wasn't like, a, oh, this is sad and I moved. Like, I saw it and I started crying, which was a very weird visceral reaction for me to have. They also had a couple of Marion's things and like it just warranted an odd reaction in me that the other things in that museum didn't. And I've been to the Titanic has a whole museum in Belfast that I've been to. And I will talk in a minute about the Frank, the Titanic exhibition at the Franklin Institute and nothing in there made me feel that way. Not even the parts where they talk about like how all the people died and stuff like that. Like nothing about the actual tragedy itself made me cry, but seeing that funeral program did make me cry. So that was the first thing that I was like, that's an odd reaction to have. And then Uh in 2013, um, there was a touring titanic exhibition going around the country and it came to the franklin institute for like two months which is in philadelphia and it's one of those things have you ever been to the holocaust museum in washington dc yes okay the watch the the holocaust museum gives you a card of a person who was in the holocaust that was a real person and at the end you find out if they survived this exhibition does the exact same thing they give you a passenger ticket for a random person um they just hand it to you as you enter and then at the end, you find out if your person lived or died and they'll tell you what class they are so you can see what their living quarters would be like, yada, yada. I was there with six people. Six other people were there besides me. There were 2,200 passengers on the Titanic, and I got Mary and Thayer's ticket. <gasps> this was a year after I was in the show. And I did not know what to do. I, like... Start. I started crying like I felt so overwhelmed and and people were like what what's wrong my friends were like what's wrong what's happening because I just started crying and I was like this is crazy and the people who were like passing out the tickets were like that's nuts there were six of us there if we had stood in a different order like I wouldn't have gotten her ticket 
it was like this really weird like someone is trying to tell me something moment and it was very odd because it had been a year since I'd been in the show and then going into this exhibit like I just felt this weird energy around being in the exhibition and holding her passenger's ticket it was very it was very very odd um so I just wanted to start my segment with that very odd personal connection I feel about about the Titanic that has kept me like digging into it and learning more um seven years after I was first in the show and first really introduced to the real history and like you know circumstances Mm -hmm. of of its sinking beyond just the movie so the Titanic at the time of its maiden voyage in 1912, the Titanic was the largest ship in the world, only slightly bigger than its sister ship, the Olympia. These two were built at the same time. Um, and these two ships were built and owned by White Star Line, which was one of the most important um, like cruise liner ships for passenger cruises in the world. It was really White Star Line and Cunard. Cunard, um, so some people quote Titanic as the fastest ship at its time, but that's not actually true. The fastest ship was Cunard ships, the Lusitania. Ironically, um, the Lusitania was shot down by the German German U-boat in 1915. So it's really interesting because like the two most important ships of the time in 1912 were the Titanic and the Lusitania. Titanic being the largest and Lusitania being the fastest, and they both would have like really tragic endings. Mm. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, Okay, so the ship's owner, White Star Line chairman Joseph Bruce Ismay, told many officials and newspapers that the ship was unsinkable, even though the ship's architect, Thomas Andrews, had said it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, He told people this because the Titanic was built to withstand the collision of two ships, something that had happened to its sister ship, the Olympia, um, like earlier that year. But the idea of a worse collision or with something larger was like pretty much unthinkable. It really never happened. The only damages to ships that ever happened were two ships running into each other, not a ship running into something else. Mm. Um, when the Titanic hit the iceberg, water flooded into six of the watertight compartments. The watertight compartments were designed to cut apart any flooding in order to keep the ship afloat. But the iceberg flooded the ship too quickly and too unevenly for that balance oh. to happen. That's why it sank, because they assumed that if they were going to hit a ship, they were going to hit it in one area, one yeah. area, and that compartment would flood and it would balance out. But that's not what happened because an, ice, an iceberg is significantly larger. Yeah. Um, it is true that had the ship hit the iceberg head on, it probably would not have sunk. Um, before the singing of the Titanic, lifeboats for all were not required on passenger liners if the ships were subdivided into watertight compartments. So you could have one or two. You could have all the lifeboats that you needed or watertight compartments because they assumed that, like, one or the other would save you. They didn't see a need for having both. Um, and the Titanic was actually fitted with more lifeboats than the average liner at the time. It was, it's about like, you're supposed to have them for about 50% capacity. If you have watertight compartments, um, and they had it for about 70% capacity. Um, Titanic carried for its maiden voyage. Um, Titanic carried a total of 20 boats with a carrying capacity of 1,178 people, but was certified to carry 3,547 people. Um, So at the time when it actually, the Titanic had 2,200 people on it. So it had, oh, sorry. So 
ignore the statistics I said before. Um, I'll cut those out of there. Um, so yeah, so they had 20, but they, they were there. The Titanic carried 20 boats with a carrying capacity of 1,178 people. There were 22 people on board of its maiden voyage, but it was certified to carry 3,547 people. So had it been at full capacity, they only had lifeboats for about a third of the passengers. Including crew. That's passengers and crew. What is with these people and just not planning? Well, here's the thing. Um, Chairman Bruce Ismay banned the addition of more lifeboats in order to leave room for more passengers on the promenade decks. Because his whole thing was that he wanted to show off the beauty of the Titanic. Because his whole thing was like, oh, you need to book white Starline passenger cruises, not Cunards. So he wanted to show off like how beautiful the ship was. And he thought that it would take away from that if there was less space because of lifeboats. Um, if you've seen the movie Titanic, Bruce Ismay is in it. He's the guy who sneaks onto a lifeboat with that small child um, and uses that mm. as an excuse to get in the boat, which is a, like a famously aggravating scene. Um, that small child probably didn't exist, um, but he did board a lifeboat to much criticism. Um, he was the highest ranking White Star Line official to survive the disaster, both the captain of the ship, Captain E.J. Smith, and the ship's architect, uh, Thomas Andrews, died in the sinking. Um, and Ismay was ridiculed for the rest of his life for taking up space on a lifeboat and leaving the ship behind. Because, uh, like, yeah, a lot of... It's it's a very naval idea that, like, you go down, you with, go the down ship. with your ship. Yeah. Exactly. Um, this is like uh, I, what I said earlier to you is like, oh, my story has bad omens, too. Um, 14 years before the disaster, writer Morgan Robertson predicted the sinking in his novel Futility or the Wreck of a Titan, which is about a superliner striking an iceberg on a calm April night. Ah! And that ship was called the Titan, which ah! is um super super creepy and there were people i have read books that there were people who refused to board the titanic because of that book they were like no they were like very auspicious Uh. Uh, very very creepy there were also a bunch of people on the titanic that weren't supposed to be on there they had booked tickets to on the olympia the sister ship but the titanic was not filled to capacity and the olympia's travel was delayed so they sent them over the titanic so there were more people on there than should have been which is really sad um the Titanic was built in Belfast, Ireland, where the Titanic Museum is today. The museum sits on the shipyard where it was built, and there's a, like, beautiful runway where if, when you walk it, it's like, oh, you've walked, the, like, the Titanic, and it's really, like, impactful. Um, its maiden voyage began on April 10th, 1912, when it left Southampton, England. On its way out of the harbor, it almost collided with another ship. So, like, again, another bad omen. Um, but they were okay and they were able to keep going. Um, it stopped in Queenstown, Ireland on April 11th, 1912, and then it started its journey across the Atlantic at 1.30 p.m. On board were some 2,200 people, approximately 1,300 of whom were passengers. Um, throughout the voyage, wireless radio operators Jack Phillips and Harold Bride, um, and Harold Bride did survive, received several iceberg warnings, um, Um, but they were ignored by the captain and the crew and these were passed on in favor of sending out passengers messages which was a huge part of the operator's duties 
Captain Smith was also under tremendous pressure from White Star Line to make a record-breaking journey for the maiden voyage um, because they weren't the fastest ship again, but they still wanted to seem really impressive against Cunard's ship, the Lusitania, and its sister ship, the Mauritania, um, and therefore drove the ship north in the hopes of cutting the trip shorter, that they could take a speedier route. On the evening of April 14th, the Titanic began to approach an area known to have icebergs. Um, So Captain Smith slightly altered the ship's course to head further south. Um, The Titanic was going 22.5 knots, which was not full speed for the ship, but still very fast. Around 9 p.m., crew member Charles Lightoller recounted that the crew could smell ice, um, which is a thing that can happen if you are uh, on board a ship and you're in an icy area. You can you can smell it. Um, And snow has a smell. Exactly. So he said that the crew did acknowledge that they could smell it at approximately 9.40 p.m. The ship, the Masaba, sent a warning of an ice field in the Titanic's general area. Um, But the message was never relayed to the Titanic's bridge because Jack Phillips was handling passenger messages and he was too busy at 10:55, the nearby leyland liner the californian which is a very important ship that will come back later sent wor- word that it had stopped after becoming surrounded by ice but again jacob phillips the wireless operator scolded the californian for interrupting him because he was trying to send out passenger messages so they weren't really taking these threats seriously or if, if they were they weren't getting from the radio room to the bridge which is where the captain and all of the crew members are. It's the command center. On the night of April 14th, the water was unusually calm. This is like one of the most, this is the eeriest fact to me about this, is that like every single person's account of this talks about how calm the water was. Um, The iceberg was spotted at 11.35 p.m. First officer Murdoch ordered the engine stopped and hard hard to starboard, which would turn the ship left. Um, Some people, it is a theory that Murdoch ordered the ship to reverse, but it is very unlikely that he actually did that. Some people claim that he did, but it's actually very unlikely that he ordered it reversed. Um, The iceberg struck the Titanic on the starboard side. Um, Mm creating a gash and flooding it with water. Um, It took 47 minutes for the first distress signal to be sent because while they were assessing the damages um, and the ship's architect, Thomas Andrews was the one who declared that the ship would founder. The others were kind of holding on hope. And he said, no, the ship is going to sink. Um, Meanwhile, they were getting people out of their cabins, but they weren't telling like people what was going on. Um, So the first lifeboats were lowered a full hour after the collision at 1140 or or sorry, at 1240. They, they hit the ship. They hit the iceberg around 1135, 1140, somewhere in there. Many passengers were hesitant to board the boats because the crew decided not to tell them the full scope of the situation. So many passengers believe that the ship wasn't going to sink and refused to leave. Um, There's also a legend that does show up in the and the James Cameron movie and is mentioned in today the musical that the ship's band played as the ship sank. Um, and many people say that they could hear them playing nearer my God to thee um, throughout the night. And p- people have recounted being in the lifeboats, watching the ship going down and still hearing the song. So it's kind of like an interesting legend that I would like to believe, believe is true. Mm. Um, 
<laughs> the other thing is that in the movie Titanic, James Cameron shows third class passengers getting locked below deck to like stop them from flooding the upper decks where the first class passengers were boarding. And this probably didn't happen, at least not with the intentionality that James Cameron showed it as like, oh, these like dirty third class passengers like can't get on our life posts. Like if one one corridor that was um, a men's third class corridor was locked, um, but it was probably an accident and it was after it should have been evacuated. So, yes, mm-hmm. people were locked below, but not nearly as many as um, the movie fictionalized it to be. Um, the ship found the ship foundered. So it sank at 2.20 a.m. Um, so what ha- if, if you watched that video that's like watch the Titanic sink in real time? Yes. Okay, the thing that's, like, so creepy about it to me is that for the first two and a half, I'd say two hours and 45 minutes after hitting the iceberg, it's really slow going. Yeah, It's going very, very, very slow. And then all of a sudden, the ship's breaks and the bow, is it the bow? Yeah, the bow turns upward, like, completely, and then just dives below really quickly. Um, So the ship founded at 2.20 a.m. after having broken apart in two pieces. Um, just short of three hours after the collision, 68% total of the total people on board perished, about 1,500 people, mm. 78% of crew members, 75% of third class passengers, but only 45% of first and second class passengers. Um, about 75% of those who died, died of hypothermia. They did not drown. Um, yeah. Fun fact about hypothermia. In water, low is are cooler, colder than 35 degrees Fahrenheit. And that night, it was 28 degrees Fahrenheit in the water. Um, a person can only survive for 45 minutes, and they will pass out in 15 minutes. Um Oof. Yeah. The people in the lifeboats were fearful to turn around. So a a bunch of people were in the lifeboats. The last lifeboat was also released into the water only 12 minutes before the ship foundered, which is crazy. Like, that's how fast it happened. Yeah. Um, So the people in the lifeboats had kind of rowed away and they were afraid to turn back around because they were afraid that the people in the water would capsize their lifeboats. So they sat some yards away, listening to people scream in the water until they all fell silent over the course of an hour. Um, and many survivors uh, have described this as like the worst part of that of that night. Lady Duff Gordon, who was a very famous fashion designer who was on the ship and survived, said the very last cry was a was that of a man who had been calling loudly, "My God, my God!" He cried monotonously in a dull hopeless way for an entire hour that had been an awful chorus of shrieks gradually dying into a hopeless moan until this last cry that i speak of then all was silent oh that's just horrible like so chilling um the survivors were rescued by the ship the carpathia um so this is like a really weird thing that happened the carpathia found the wreck site by a stroke of luck because the ship's last reported location was incorrect so ships are required to give their coordinates every couple of hours um fourth officer boxall had given the incorrect coordinates at his last check-in if he had given the correct coordinates at, at the earlier reporting the carpathia likely wouldn't have found the titanic survivors because um the survivors had rowed like uh, several miles when 
the Carpathia had found them at 7 a.m. the next morning. So all the survivors in the lifeboats just rode and rode and rode all night. So if the coordinates had been correct, the Carpathia would not have found the Titanic survivors, which I thought was really interesting. Um, the Titanic was found at the bottom of the ocean off the coast of Nova Scotia in 1985. Um, <laughs> this is a crazy conspiracy theory. Um, this, not a conspir- It's not a conspiracy because it happened, but just like, wow, wild. The search for the Titanic was actually a cover story for a military recovery of two nuclear submarines. Oh. They were like, oh, we'll go look for the Titanic, but really we're not. Um, and it was a whole <laughs> Navy operation. So they did find it um, in 1985 which is what we see at the opening of the movie Titanic. That a makes fun um, thing that connects our two topics is that yeah. the people who right now are kind of looking for Amelia Earhart's plane were the same people that found the Titanic. Oh, really? They were like, that's something. They, they also, they, they haven't found it, but there's a picture of a Pacific Island in the corner where they're like, oh, that's landing gear. So they know. So now they know the area to look, and they're looking in that area. That's so cool. That is really, really cool. Um. So here, here are some notable passengers that died. Um. Billionaire John Jacob Astor the Fourth, inheritor of the Astor real estate dynasty. His pregnant 18-year-old wife Madeline Astor survived the disaster. Madeline Astor was left a five million dollar trust fund and their home on Fifth Avenue, which she would lose if she ever remarried, which is such a jerk move. Um. But he was much older. Um. She did relinquish the sum to marry and divorce twice more. Um. Um. Madeline Astor has a crazy story. One of the books about the Titanic that I have um, goes into a lengthy thing about her life. And she ended up like, she ended her life like relatively poor, like just an absolutely bonkers life. <laughs> um, like really, really insane. But John Jacob Astor was very notable. The Astors are a very notable family. They're, they're the people for whom Astor Place is named in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, Madeline Astor and Marion Thayer actually made their first public appearance together after the disaster in May of 1912 because they held a luncheon for Arthur Roster and the captain of the Carpathia, which I thought was really sweet. Oh. Um, Margaret or Molly Brown uh, was on the Titanic and she, she became famous after the sinking. Um, and I didn't know this is why she was famous because she overthrew quartermaster Robert Hitchens and lifeboats in order to go back and rescue survivors in the water so she was like "Uh uh-uh we're doing this and like took over the lifeboat with some of the other women and like rescued some people so that's why she became that's why she got the name the unsinkable molly brown Mm -hmm. um i didn't realize like she was like a first class passenger she was very wealthy but this is where her notoriety really came from from this disaster and from this moment um, Dorothy mm-hmm. Gibson, a 22-year-old singer, model, and silent movie star, survived the sinking of the Titanic and went on to star in a silent film called Save from the Titanic, which she wrote. Um, in the film, Gibson wore this same dress, sweater, gloves, and black she had been wearing. She was pulled from Lifeboat 7 um, onto Pathia, Um, and she was also in the first lifeboat that was launched into the water. So it's about her, like, account of what happened from the lifeboat. Um, but I thought that was nuts. Like, um, and this movie came out a month after the sinking. So a month Jeez, later, she threw she, it together. She was like, yep, I'm putting it back on. <laughs> yeah, she really did. I was like, what? <laughs> really, really nuts. Uh, I guess it's easier to throw it together when it's a silent film. But oh, Benjamin yeah. 
Guggenheim died in the sinking. Um, yes, the one who owns the museum. And he is remembered for saying as the Titanic sank, um, quote, we've dressed our best and are prepared to go down like gentlemen. That's like Aww. a very famous that's a very famous quote. Um, also, according to the musical, he was traveling with his mistress, which is like really shady, but it, that's like been confirmed. But I didn't, didn't want to go into all the drama about the people on the boat. But, like, if you want some drama, <laughs> like, because they're all like rich. They're not all like there's the third class passengers who are all like, I'm going to go to America and live out my dreams, which is just like heartbreaking. But then also there's all this like first class passenger drama because like John Jacob Astor's there with his significantly younger eight month pregnant wife who probably got pregnant before they got married. Like all of this mm-hmm crazy stuff um so these were like dramatic people the youngest survivor was only a baby melvina dean and she died in 2009 at age 97 um i will i will end my segment and then i'm gonna allow you to do a QA with me <laughs> in case uh, there's anything you want to know that i haven't talked about <laughs> uh, but i'm gonna i'm gonna end with telling you about what happened to the thayers who are the people i started talking about um so as i said before john b thayer senior died in the disaster and i have read although i have not seen this confirmed anywhere um that he was crushed by a steamer and that his son jack thayer saw this happen Mm. um i said before that jack thayer is a famous survivor and there's two reasons for that one is that jack thayer is one of only 40 people who survived by jumping off of the ship and into the water and he stayed afloat on an overturned collapsible boat he was rescued he stayed there overnight and he was rescued in the morning by lifeboat 12 um and was reunited with his mother on the carpathia so he's famous because many people attempted this and very few survived another person who survived was the radio operator harold bride by doing this exact same thing he did it with jack there mm-hmm. um jack Thayer went on to serve in world war one and became the vp of finance at the university of pennsylvania he had okay. two sons and three daughters with his wife lois buchanan cassett um as a survivor he gained notoriety for the second reason which is that he was one of the few passengers who claimed he saw the ship clearly split in two which was contested until its discovery in 1985 no one could ever agree on that whether it actually happened but he was one of the few people who was like the ship split in two i saw it um so he's given him and some other people are given a lot of credit for making that claim um because otherwise they might not have known how to look for the ship um because they discovered um i think they discovered the stern first and then they discovered the bow later um this is really sad both his sons enlisted in the army. Um, his son Edward was shot down in his plane in the in the Pacific Theater in 1943. His son's body was never recovered, and Jack fell into a depression because of this. Um, his mother, Marion Thayer, died on April 14, 1944, 32 years to the day after the Titanic's collision with the iceberg. And then Jack Thayer, this is a heartbreaking, this, is, this breaks my heart. Um, Jack Thayer was found dead in a car in West Philadelphia on September 20th, 1945, having slit his wrist and throat. And he's buried in Bridmar, Pennsylvania, uh, which is like only 30 minutes from my house. Like I could I could go visit his grave <laughs> um, pretty easily. And that's Jack Thayer's story, which is like a heartbreaking ending. But like, again, that's why I feel so... I don't know, like, I just, I've devoured so much information about the Titanic and the people who were on the ship because, like, you know that their stories don't end with that disaster. And the more I find out about the things that happened to them after, like, the the crazier it gets. Like, these people were, 
like I I agree with Jack Thayer's quote that like the Titanic really changed the world. Like I just read a book about the sinking of the Lusitania dead week, which was so good. And in it, they talk so much about how much laws changed after the Titanic and how people's fears yeah. were different um and about how like upper class had changed and things like that like it was just so because so many significant wealthy people died on the ship yeah it's, it's really interesting george widener um of widener university also died on the ship um and he was like a super rich philadelphia man uh like me really important people in the upper class like everyone who was anyone was on this ship and regard and some of them died yes but some of them survived and that became such a huge part of their life they went they had depression like mm-hmm. they never really recovered because how do you recover from something so horrific so it, it really is it, it's it's it I, to me it's such an interesting story and I never get tired of reading about it and learning more because there's just so much you can learn um, mm-hmm. but do, <laughs> do you have any questions anything I left out <laughs> I tried to be thorough without being a psycho <laughs> no I'm trying to think um were there animals on board um someone had people had dogs that's a good question that's actually one hold on i feel like i knew that at one point were animals on board someone def people definitely had dogs that was a whole thing uh there were 12 confirmed confirmed dogs on board the titanic including yeah a toy poodle they mentioned that in the musical um john jacob astor had a cat named kitty (laughs) (laughs) uncreative um, three dogs survived. <laughs> there were twelve dogs. Three of them survived. That's heartbreaking. Oh. No, it was a passenger ship. It wasn't a cargo ship, so it's mm. not like um, below. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's yeah. They weren't. They weren't transport. Everything that was on the ship was for the passengers to eat. Okay. You know? It was a. It was a cruise ship essentially. Um. So yeah. Good question though. Twelve dogs. Wow. Three brave boys survived. If you don't have any more questions, that's okay. I just feel like I was, I was trying to be very thorough. It's hard because I was like, I don't need to go over that it sank. Like, (laughs) (laughs) wait, wait, what happened? It it hit an iceberg. You're kidding. (laughs) No. No. I'm also staring at my Titanic Belfast hat right now. Just very appropriate. Um, and that is everything about the Titanic. All right. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. While I'm on vacation, I'm definitely going to update it. If you're on it, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's like very out well, of you're in Italy. No, you're going to be enjoying yourself. I'm going to relax and finally have time to do stuff um of my own on my own accord um if you like what you're hearing please consider donating to us on patreon patreon.com slash ykwibw podcast we are on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher all those places and please 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 subscribe to us that way your episode is ready for you on wednesday you can have it already downloaded and walk out the door and please consider leaving us a five-star review because it really helps us get the word out there. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we can incorporate it into the show. Tell us about what you've been wondering next week. 
We will be coming at you with the topics that we talked about at the end of episode 24. So Jane will be talking about the phrase going postal, going postal. and what that means. And I will be talking about Dolly Parton, a true queen. Um, so stay tuned for that next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.